welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star. Oh, mailbag. So close. So close. Literally, literally, <laughs> listeners, 30 seconds ago, I said, okay, no, remember, we're doing the mailbag first. <laughs> and I didn't. <laughs> Brenna is having a rough time and we must all treat her with respect and also kid gloves. <laughs> I need gentleness because I'm a baby. You are. You're a delicate baby. But know who are not babies. Uh, that was an awful segue. But a all this segue. to say, we got a... <laughs> you know what? Um, we got a lovely email from listener Jessica, who is a sessional lecturer. And she sent us in a fun little exercise that she did with her class around Monkey Beach. Yeah, this is so cool. So I sort of know Jessica peripherally on the Twitters from Canlet Circle. So mm. it was so cool to get this email. Uh, Jessica writes, I've been meaning to share this with you since the semester ended. Earlier this year, I was away for the day and we were set to really dive into Monkey Beach in my third year English class at the University of Saskatchewan. And so in lieu of an in-person class, I asked students to listen to your podcast episode on Monkey Beach alongside Linda Mora's podcast episode on Monkey Beach, which came out around the same time. From there, I asked them to collectively build a list of ways that reviewers, scholars, and readers categorize Monkey Beach in terms of genre, so that when I return mm. the next day in class, we could have a discussion about the implications of these labels. And so Jessica shared the list. It's so cool. It's so robust. That's <laughs> it's, what shocked me. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's really robust. And it's neat because one of the things Jessica notes is that her students were super happy to engage with the discussions of literary labeling that we started in the podcast. So how Ooh. fun is that, Joe? That is very fun. Yeah. I mean, folks, we were patting ourselves on the back because we did <laughs> make a call for anyone who is using the podcast in, I don't want to say unconventional terms, because in some ways... This is exactly what I would love to think people use the podcast yes. for, in addition to just, you know, hopefully enjoying it. But it's just always so amazing to see not so much, oh, people are engaging with the podcast in different ways, but the fact that people can spin something that you and I talk about into, like, academically rigorous, thoughtful critique, just they're actually turning our audio into something relevant to them and that is like bettering their studies which i love it's so cool and you know in my day job joe as you know i talk about podcasting a lot from a scholarship mm -hmm. perspective like frankly you won't shut up about it <laughs> it's just my life is just podcasting and ai that's all i talk about all day <laughs> one of the things i talk to faculty about a lot is that a scholarly podcast can take on lots of different forms. And right. sometimes it's about offering a scholarly way of thinking about text without necessarily being like Foucault every five seconds. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> I really do think that to that extent, this is a scholarly podcast, Joe. We're both trained in this kind of thinking and reading and watching. Mm -hmm. And it's how we inform our readings. But I hope we're a little bit more interesting than like an article. <laughs> well, I will say, and this is now moving so far away from Jessica's email. So we'll just say, <laughs> Jessica, thank you so much for sharing. And I'm so delighted at what your students were able to put together. Me too. And the idea that they, you know, maybe got a little something out of our podcast is just really, really endearing and kind of uplifting. Like as a podcaster, we don't always hear back from people about the work that we do. So this is just kind of a like, this is a delight. Yeah. Now, moving away from that, I guess one of the things that 
delights me a little bit about the idea of a podcast as a kind of cultural studies piece is I really like part of the reason I ended up dropping out of my PhD, Brenna, is because all I did was butt heads with my supervisor mm-hmm. and other um, people who live in the ivory tower and who maybe don't come down and interact with the regular citizens of the world too often. Mm-hmm. Because I really wanted to try to do something that was accessible to people. I wasn't interested in writing a tome, having it sit in the library where only other students could access it if they had a library card and not even like a public library card. So I think that's one of the reasons I've gravitated to podcasting is because A, the reach is so big, mm-hmm. but also you can do things like what we're doing, but in a way where people can just listen to this while they're walking their dog and they can like get something out of it that maybe just helps them to think about a text in a slightly different way. Well, this is something that you and I have talked about before, but like I I very vividly remember that one of the examiners on my dissertation was like, this is written in a very breezy style and he did not mean that as a compliment (laughs) no of course he did not and also of course it was a he (laughs) yes and i was like score it's breezy and my advisor was like no (laughs) oh my god thank you so much that is such a compliment (laughs) (laughs) so i totally get what you're saying and one of the things i love about audio is the way that it creates an intimate space to talk about really difficult things and i think that that's a real strength of audio for Mm -hmm. scholarly purposes so it's always cool when i find out that the podcast is getting used somewhere because that's ultimately my hope for this little show that could joe Mm -hmm. yes this and fame and fortune oh yeah obviously in whichever order they come yeah obviously we'll become famous podcasters it's just you me and mark Marin out here joe (laughs) (laughs) really trailblazing and uh cutting a path through the forest yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) 